If asking your mate down the pub about vaping, here's what they'd probably say. No one agrees if it's safer or not, so you might as well smoke anyway. Now what your mate needs is a Cochrane review, all the facts have been checked at least twice. They'd find there's a lot that the experts agree on and might give you different advice. Hi, my name is Nicola and I'm a researcher based at the University of Oxford in the UK. And I'm Jamie and I'm a researcher based at the University of Massachusetts Amherst in the United States. We are both members of the Cochrane Tobacco Addiction Group. Welcome to this edition of Let's Talk E-Cigarettes. This podcast is a companion to a research project being carried out at the University of Oxford, where every month we search the e-cigarette research literature to find new studies. We then use these studies to update our Cochrane Systematic Review of e-cigarettes for smoking cessation. This is called a living systematic review. In each episode, we start by going through the studies we've found that month and then go into more detail about a particular study or topic related to e-cigarettes. This month, we ran our searches on the 1st of October, 2023. In a nutshell, we found two papers linked to studies previously identified. The first is the main write-up of Matthew Carpenter's trial funded by the National Cancer Institute, where participants were randomised to receive an e-cigarette or not, which is published in the Journal of E-Clinical Medicine. We discussed this study with Professor Carpenter in our May 2023 episode of this podcast. The second is the protocol for a trial which hasn't yet been completed, being carried out by researchers at the University of Auckland in New Zealand. The study is funded by the Health Research Council of New Zealand, and Jamie discusses it with lead investigator Professor Natalie Walker in this month's Deep Dive. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I wondered if you could start by telling us about your background and what got you into e-cigarette research in particular. Okay, as well, my background's quite diverse. It's in public health. So I initially started working in infectious disease and environmental epidemiology. And then I moved into cardiovascular disease epidemiology. So New Zealand is quite a small country, so it pays to have quite diverse skills. (laughs) And the research group I work with at Auckland University consciously moved into the tobacco control research space probably around 2004, maybe a little bit earlier. And this move was initiated by our work on the Global Burden of Disease and Risk Factors report that was put out by the World Bank. Okay. And this report identified the leading modifiable risk factors for death and disease, disease such as heart disease, cancer, and respiratory illness. And of course, tobacco was consistently at the top of the list. Yeah. And so we decided to do something about that. So uh, coincidentally, around that time um, was when e-cigarettes started to appear. And prior to this time, we had just started investigating the very novel idea of text messaging for smoking cessation. (laughs) So (laughs) it seems so long ago, doesn't it? It does. And so, so when we moved into this tobacco research space, we wanted to focus on two areas. One was increasing uptake of existing smoking cessation interventions. And the other one was to investigate the effectiveness and safety of any new interventions. So that's where the e-cigarettes came in. And so our group specializes in large pragmatic clinical trials. 
and they're designed specifically to inform practice. So we want them to be able to be incorporated into the Cochrane Review, which then informs evidence-based treatment guidelines. Our trials typically involve people living in the community and we have to focus on health equity. So we make sure we engage with priority populations. And the trials are also designed to inform policy. So we work very closely with New Zealand policymakers to understand what information they need to make decisions. And in 2004, the government had a really urgent need to know what role do e-cigarettes play as a reduced harm nicotine product? What's their role in New Zealand's tobacco control environment? And so that's where we undertook our first trial of e-cigarettes for smoking cessation. And that was the one led by Chris Bullen. Yeah, so the issue for us is it takes about a year to get research funding and then three years to run a large trial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then it, by which time the vaping devices had evolved. Yes. And of course, that's why we have done more than one um, e-cigarette trial. Yes. And so to date, we've, we've probably completed about 70 studies in the field of tobacco control, and that's 19 randomized trials, so reaching almost 20,000 participants. It's phenomenal. As Cochrane reviewers, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your trials, too. They make <laughs> much better for including them. Oh, thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about your new study, what you're setting out to look at, why in particular you're choosing to look at these treatments? So, so every study we do is we build on the previous research. So we're just trying to fill the evidence gaps and just constantly building, building, building. And the, the, the sole aim is to find that perfect intervention, maximize uh, people's quitting journey. So we have uh, done quite a bit of research on cytosine. So cytosine is very similar to varenicline. Obscure science term definition. Cytosine and varenicline are two pill-based medications that have been found to be some of the best treatments for helping people to quit smoking. They both work by blocking nicotine receptors in the brain to help make nicotine less rewarding and reduce cravings for tobacco products. So we have done big trials to show that cytosine is more effective than nicotine replacement therapy and more acceptable. We've also shown that cytosine is at least as effective as varenicline, but more acceptable and with fewer side effects and it's also lower cost. We've also done a lot of work around e-cigarettes or reduced harm products, so combining nicotine e-cigarettes with nicotine patches, looking at the impact of nicotine-free e-cigarettes on quitting. We've also done a lot of work around text messaging for smoking cessation. So building on all of that research, we're kind of kind of combining all that knowledge. And so... How can we optimize our quitting? So we want to have the best of the best. And to us, that's cytosine plus text messaging plus e-cigarettes. And so our new trial is designed to investigate that. So it's a single blind, pragmatic, community-based trial. So it's three arm and people are randomized to 12 weeks of e-cigarettes. And that's the closed pod system. So 3% mm. nicotine salt gone for tobacco flavor. And that e-cigarette is combined with cytosine. Second arm gets the e-cigarettes alone and the third arm gets the cytosine alone. And so you know, that's our best of the best, we think. So it's a big community-based trial, large sample size. We Actually, we've just finished recruitment. Oh, congratulations. Um, just yes, just a couple of days ago. So we've got our 800 sample size. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Oh, we were really excited to see this study is on its way because it is very sorely needed. Did you encounter <laughs> any challenges in getting it funded and getting it off the ground or was it all smooth sailing? Oh, no trial is smooth sailing. No. So, so once it was funded, getting it off the ground is reasonably easy. We've kind of streamlined. We know what works. We know how to recruit people. We know the quickest way to recruit people and the, the most cost-effective. We've got good systems in place and mm. things like that. So usually, now once we get through the funding part, we're, we're usually pretty good. The funding or designing the trials where the challenge is you know, how to get a trial that matches as closely as possible real-world access to these products. Yeah. And and the challenge there is then uh, is getting the design also to match what reviewers expect for a good clinical trial design and then also matching the regulators requirements and ethics so it's that tension and we also don't have a very big budget (laughs) (laughs) so the budget is very constrained about what we can afford so so it's all of those tensions and that's why when I write my protocols and publish them I always state what budget we had yeah so that people understand the context and also the other challenges that we had absolutely so for me i would always prefer to do something like a cluster randomized trial a cluster trial is a randomized controlled trial in which pre-existing groups otherwise known as clusters of individuals are randomly allocated to treatment arms instead of randomizing people singularly for example clusters may be gp practices or schools that's that's a better design because it seems inappropriate to go and just randomize one person per household. Yeah. When you know that there's another smoker in the house. And so, but cluster randomized trials are much bigger. Yeah. And and we just don't have the money to do them. So it's again, a tension working away or, you know, working through those processes. Other challenges we have, of course, because it's a pragmatic trial, we try not to interfere too much. It's very light touch. Yeah. So we don't have multiple, you know, hundreds and hundreds of assessments. It's just mm. light touch, very quick assessments. So retention is always an issue. We don't pay participants to stay in the study. We do give them free treatment at the start, but we don't pay them further on. Yeah. So trying to really mimic that real world as much as we can. Yeah. And verification of smoking status is quite difficult. So people are spread throughout the country. And anyone that's been to New Zealand will know that you no, know, it's quite quite rural in places. Yeah. So yeah. it can be a long. You might you might have to drive two hours to find somebody, and then you get there and they're not there. Oh. So it's quite hard to do that verification. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, that's pretty difficult. Things like some people coming into the trial because it's a new intervention, and they're thinking mm. like the e-cigarette research when we first yeah. started. Everyone wanted an e-cigarette, so yeah. if you're trying to compare it to say a nicotine patch we would get dropout post-randomization because people wanted the e-cigarette and they didn't yeah. get it and yeah. so we've had to be a- adapt to that and now a key entry is that you have no preference so we really really push that thought that you know you can't come into the study if you only want the e-cigarette yes. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so, yeah so every trial we learn, we, we yeah. get better and better. And um, yeah, so those it's always challenging. 
Fantastic. And the last thing I just want to talk to you about was more general. So we have an international listener base who may have varying levels of knowledge of what the e-cigarette landscape is like in New Zealand. Would you mind talking us through that? So if someone, let's say, outside of one of your trials wanted to access a nicotine e-cigarette, could they? Would they be encouraged to do so? How does it work in New Zealand? Okay, so our government supports the use of nicotine e-cigarettes as a reduced harm product. They see that e-cigarettes should be as available and accessible as tobacco. Ideally, the more harmful product should be less accessible. And so some of their new policy they're introducing is to try and address that about reducing the number of tobacco retailers. But within that context, we do have boundaries. So you can go to what we call a dairy. I, th- I think that's like your corner shop. Okay, um, yeah. Or I'm trying to think of an equivalent in America. Like convenience a, store, we might Convenience call it, store, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yes. So you can get your vapes there, but they would be restricted in flavor. So there's a mint, a menthol, and a tobacco flavor only. And then there are specialist vape retailers, and they will sell mm-hmm. all flavors and much more sort of focused and talking, you know, helping people switch away from tobacco within that retailer environment. Okay. Yeah. And so there's some restrictions around selling of tobacco and vapes within certain distance of schools, Mm -hmm. for instance, and other locations. We have some restrictions on the nicotine content. So no, e-cigarettes are available. Yeah. And I know you are setting out an ambitious plan in terms of tobacco control and combusted tobacco. And from what I've seen, it seems like e-cigarettes are a part of that plan to transition people off of smoking. That's right. Yes, yeah. we're introducing a nicotine reduction strategy. So it's be the first, in, first time in the world to do that. And the modeling in, from New Zealand, which is based, uh, has utilized data from one of our trials we did on nicotine oh. reduction almost 10 years ago, actually. Wow. That's informed that modeling and it's a pretty dramatic drop. But you have to have cleaner forms of nicotine available to help people switch over. Yeah. And then we can start transitioning people off the nicotine. Yeah. Be that's nicotine from a vape or be that from a nicotine mouth spray, what other form of nicotine. So yeah. that's the sort of theory is to transition to a clean form of nicotine and then away yeah. from that. Fantastic. I know the rest of the world is waiting with bated breath to see how that <laughs> all goes. You guys are real trailblazers in this particular area. Oh, it's exciting. And, and, you know, it's come about by incredibly strong leadership, particularly from our Indigenous Māori leaders. So tobacco was introduced to New Zealand and to our Indigenous Māori as part of the colonising process by the British. And so, you know, it's not something that's always been here. Yeah. And so that's caused incredible harm. Absolutely. Um, to our Indigenous people. And so the leadership has been extraordinary from a political and grassroots level in that sense. That's amazing. That's really amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. Do you have anything else you'd want to add? Well, some people might be interested to know what our smoking rates are. Yeah. And our vaping rates. I, I would be interested. Yes. And I'm okay. sure some people <laughs> So we look at, we just look at daily use in those age 15 and over. So the latest data, basically the daily use of, of vapes is 8% and daily use of smoked tobacco is also 8%. Okay. So smoking rates have been declining dramatically 
over time, including across those traditionally higher smoking mm. subgroups, they have been decreasing. At the same time, vaping rates have been slowly increasing. Yeah. And they're just starting they're just starting to cross those two two pathways. I can picture yes. that graph and I'm curious what it will look like in years to come. Yes, yeah. and it's and it's across all of those subgroups. So by ethnicity or social class. So we're seeing quite dramatic changes for our youth. So we have a Ash Year 10 survey, which is 14-year-olds. The smoking uh, prevalence is 1%. That's daily smoking. (laughs) But daily vaping is 10%. Okay. But we do know that not all the children are using nicotine. So some of them are nicotine-free. Yeah. So it's that tension between helping people who have been smoking tobacco for a long time and transition away to vapes but we also don't want our youth picking up vapes yeah that sort of balance that's what that we're still sort of fighting with a little bit yeah I think many countries are struggling with how to strike the right balance in that regard yeah 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 great wonderful well thank you so much for coming on and we are very excited about your study and we know it'll be a while before it comes out but we look forward to seeing it when it does okay yeah we should probably probably publish in about seven months oh that's soon yes yes yeah. oh that's very exciting all right <laughs> <laughs> thank okay you. so jamie that was a really interesting interview with professor walker and what really struck me was those smoking rates from New Zealand they're just I mean I suppose it's worth for kind of comparison saying that our smoking rates here are well when I say here (laughs) I'm talking about the UK I'm not used to the fact yet that you're in the US but in the UK they're now around 12 13 percent I want to say so eight percent is really low and that one percent in 14 year olds is really something it's incredible to see New Zealand and what they're doing and one thing I've always been impressed with from them too over the past few years has been how much they're emphasizing working with their communities where the burden of smoking related disease is highest, including Maori communities to really engage with communities, understand what's wanted, what might work and be able to implement that. I think they're really trailblazers in a lot of areas. And I know that the rest of the world's tobacco control researchers are watching with bated breath to see what happens in New Zealand. Yeah, because at the beginning of this year, they announced their plans to raise the legal age for purchasing tobacco. And they were the first country to announce these kind of year on year increases in the age people need to be to buy tobacco. And that will work further to trying to create this kind of smoke-free generation and it's really current in terms of here because the government here have now decided that they're also going to bring that legislation in in 2027 following in the footsteps of New Zealand so I think it'll be really interesting to see how that works out in both New Zealand and in the UK and it would be great if other countries follow suit as well. That's right and on an individual level You know, the studies that we look at and the way we're interested in e-cigarettes and our review is looking at their abilities to help individual people quit smoking. But it's nice to see policies that are coming about because e-cigarettes are available at a population level, right? So they're considering, okay, Mm. we can crack down on cigarettes more because we have these other, though not totally safe, less harmful nicotine delivery options that are available. So it's really exciting to see that opportunity being harnessed 
and yeah, I just wish we had a crystal ball and could look 10 years into the future mm. and see what happens there. It was really interesting what Natalie said about their kind of overall approach in New Zealand is basically that to make e-cigarettes more available than tobacco because we know it's a lower risk product and it's really interesting to hear it put in that way and it's just you know it, it kind of does bring home how different that is to the approach of you know some other countries and the differences in opinions around e-cigarettes absolutely we have a great national experiment going on at the moment between nations and yeah in 10 years or so it'll be really interesting to see how this all pans out mm. and then maybe can be applied to to other things in the future. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, I think that is it from us this month. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to Professor Walker for coming on for that really interesting interview. And we look forward to checking in with you next month on Let's Talk E-Cigarettes. Please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and stay tuned for our next episode. is safer than smoking, may help you quit in the end. But remember to mention the findings we have Can't tell us what'll happen long term Even though we know vaping is safer than smoking We may still find cause for concern If you're thinking of switching to vaping That's what the experts agree Smoking's so bad for you, they all concur The vaping beats burning, but there's much to learn Of effects long term yet to be seen Thank you to Jonathan Livingston Banks for running searches, to Elsa Butler for producing this podcast, and to all of you for tuning in. Music is written with Johnny Berliner and I, and performed by Johnny. Our Living Systematic Review is supported by funding from Cancer Research UK. The views expressed in this podcast are those of Nicola and I, and do not represent those of the funders.